are entering the Freedom Hut. A victory for religious freedom, but not an absolute one, not even necessarily a clear one over the long term. Really more of a free speech than free religious belief issue at the Supreme Court. We'll talk about that. And then also over the weekend, quite a lot of hubbub because Rudy Giuliani says the president can't be indicted. And in fact, Trump himself says that he cannot have criminal charges brought against him by the federal government while he runs the federal government. The left-wing media lost their minds over this one. We'll get into that, plus everything else you need to know to lead off the week. That and more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you with me. Apologies if I sound a little uh, different or... Some of you will pick up. I sound a bit more like a snuffleupagus right now. I'm struggling through a cold, but I'm here in the hut because a cold's not going to get me down. You know, it's not like I'm going to just say, oh, uh, because I have a sniffle, I can't hang out with all my friends across the country on 125 or so radio stations. I don't think so. You can't you can't you can't stop. The buck does not stop with a sniffle. That much I know. That much is true. Uh, big day of the news cycle uh, with regard to the Supreme Court. We'll get into a whole bunch of that. And then over the weekend, woo, a lot of stuff about pardons, and Rudy Giuliani, and all of it. In fact, I'll speak to you more specifically just about where I think this whole pardon issue is right now, um, or these days, I should say. But I want to take a step back. This Supreme Court decision that came down today. It's, it's been years in the making. I think, I think six years. Uh, six years ago is when the incident in question occurred. And this led to, or this is one of these instances, but this is the most well-known one, that led to people to say, bake that cake. That became a shorthand for the cultural intolerance of the progressive left. Right? That the, the progressive left had gone from, as I often say to you, requesting tolerance to demanding submission. It was no longer an issue of can you you know, live and let live or even just respect people's uh, rights to do as they please on their own. You have to agree to what they want. You have to do what they tell you to do. You have to celebrate what they tell you to celebrate. And this was a possible death knell for religious freedom in this country if it had gone another way. Because if any state commission, in this case a Colorado state commission, could come along and say that your closely held religious beliefs are not to be given even a a, a modicum, not not even a, a smidgen of respect, of consideration when weighing someone's rights and someone's obligations uh, then it's just a function of time that as we look at it it's a function of time until you no longer have any re- real religious rights you, you are just on borrowed time until they decide that it all has to go away so by way of recap here what happened when you you had a, a same-sex couple a gay couple went into a christian baker's establishment and said that they wanted the 
the baker to make a uh, a cake that would celebrate their upcoming uh, uh, marriage, right? This gay couple's marriage. And the owner of the establishment said that, no, he, in fact, uh, Jack Phillips, he said, no, I, I will not uh, make a cake for you. But he, he was willing to, ser- to sell them any of his cakes. He was willing to, uh, to serve them as a, as a public establishment, but he just wasn't willing to write specific messages on it or do any of those kinds of things that cross over into a First Amendment realm. And then, by the way, this was determinative on this case. This, this, that was the big differentiation. So by a 7-2 to two vote, so it wasn't, and everyone's been fixated on this all day, it wasn't a close vote, but it is a narrow ruling in its scope. But 7-2, to two, it said that the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission and its decisions against the baker uh, are, in fact, wrong. Uh, that, that a baker cannot be forced to engage in speech that he or she finds objectionable, reprehensible, any, any of those things. And that was what really, uh, that, there were there were sort of the, the two levels where this became a, a problem for the plaintiffs against the baker were, one, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and as you know, Colorado's a pretty progressive state now, was just full of antipathy toward the, the whole notion of religious freedom, right? In their decision, there was a lot of, oh, or, you know, in their public statements about this, they're saying, oh, religion has been used to justify the worst evils, slavery and the Holocaust. I mean, it was clear that these are people who find religion itself to be objectionable. And so if the, one of their charges or you know, one of their obligations here is to try and balance out one side's religious freedom from the other side's freedom uh, or right not to be discriminated against, you can't have a commission that's just saying, well, we hate religious people. They're, they're stupid and do very bad things in the name of religion. So that was one level at which the uh, case against this baker failed. Remember, Masterpiece Cake Shop was the name of the store in, in Lakewood, Colorado. And the uh, opinion written by Justice Kennedy really focused in on how people were not sanctioned by the other bakers, were not sanctioned by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission because they refused to write anti-gay marriage or anti-gay period slogans on cakes or anything because that was a, as a speech issue. But now this becomes very clear. This is just just straight-up viewpoint discrimination. You can't have the government saying some people are allowed to refrain from engaging in expression. It's not just, you know, w- will you sell me something is different than will you be a part of a creative process to express a certain message that I am telling you what the message is. Right? So if I say, if I walked into your cake shop, you, my wonderful listener around the country, and I said, I want to buy your cake, and you say, no, your money's no good here, well, now that there might be some discrimination at work. Right? Have to, why doesn't this person want to sell me the cake? 
But if I walk into a cake and I say, you know, you have to write on top of it that Buck Sexton is the handsomest, most amazing guy ever, and I love the swoop of his hair, and it's better than any swoop I've ever seen, even than my own husband's, let's say, right? And you said, well, no, I, I'm not going to write that. Ah, you object to the content. You object to being part of that obviously somewhat preposterous message. To make this even more clear for the progressive side of this, what about a, uh, a Muslim? Can you, a Muslim baker. Could you walk into a, a Muslim bake shop and say, forget about the whole gay marriage issue for a moment. Could you walk in and say that you want that person to make a cake for you that says, uh, there is no Allah? Could you do that? Oh, progressives. Uh, I mean, oh, hold on a second. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. We're, we're not going to make, we're not going to make a Muslim refute his or her faith. That, that would be, then how can you have any religious freedom? Ah, we're getting somewhere with this, right? Same thing with the Jewish baker. Could you walk in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm having a, a clan rally, you know, in a month and I'd really love for you to make my cake and I want you to put swastikas all over the cake. Could you do that? No, you couldn't do that. Okay, right. So there are clearly limitations to enforced expression on other people. And that's what really turned this case, or that was what the, the real fulcrum was. Now, that doesn't mean that going forward, we're not going to have more and more. In fact, in Kennedy's majority opinion, which is about like 50, 60 pages, the whole thing, it's worth a read if you... Well, no, I read these things so that those of you, you've got busy lives, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you feel like it, you can. Kennedy makes very clear, though, that there is uh, going. there are going to be more lawsuits after this. There are going to be more people that are trying to test these because we don't have a test. We don't have a, well, in these circumstances, work through the problem in this logical way so as to see whether religion or anti-discrimination wins the day they didn't establish that they didn't establish a legal test with this and so you will see more of these kinds of cases making their way up through the courts all that we know now is that religious freedom is not completely exterminated by the ruling this is kind of like a a if not a gold line stand certainly a red zone stand for religious freedom this isn't a long bomb in the end zone on the other side where there's a tremendous amount of celebration to be done. So I think that's worth keeping in mind here. Also, in a broader sense, this brings me back to the original bake that cake, right? Which is a, it became a meme on its own. You know, whenever you don't want to do something, whenever you want to engage in speech that may be inflammatory to some or that, and they just shut you down, they engage in a, in a progressive bullying campaign against you and use the state in order to make you say things and act in a certain way. People say, bake that cake. This is all a reminder that the social justice warriors out there are never placated. I mean, you never reach a point in time where they are completely accepting of the concessions you've made and feel like, the good faith efforts of the rest of the country, the non-social justice left to meet them halfway or to make a compromise. All that is, is just conceding more to their side. 
It never turns into a, hey, maybe we should back off on this. Maybe a fight over whether transgender uh, individuals should be getting hormones before they even hit puberty and their parents shouldn't have final say in this. Maybe that's not where progressive energy should be spent right now, but but it is. They will they will fight on these issues. They will decide that that's where they will mount uh, one campaign or another. So this shows you what you're up against, folks. Uh, the people that walked into this bakery, by the way, the uh, the two individuals who are going to have their same sex wedding, Charlie Craig and Dave Mullins. It's very obvious to me and to a lot of other people they targeted Jack Phillips. They could have they could have gone to a whole lot of different bakeries, a whole lot of different places all over the all over the state or even all over the country to get this. They knew that this guy was a a uh, believing and rigorous Christian, and they singled him out in this way and had a very nasty exchange with him. And they, and they really tried to ruin his life and his livelihood. That's a very it's a very strong, and I would say. Uh, nasty thing to do to somebody because they won't write on a cake for you in a certain way because they won't just bend the knee and do as you say i I do not see charlie craig and dave mullins as heroes at all and not just because i disagree with them on the merits i disagree with their approach on this issue i think they wanted to find somebody that they could make an issue of because this has happened in a number of places i mean how many evangelical cake bakers are there really out there and you'll notice didn't get a lot of news stories about going into Muslim-owned bakeries, which there are, and pushing them on their religious beliefs and the limits of their, not just tolerance, but celebration for social justice issues. So this was an, an effort to target certain folks, and this is part of the left's broader war. Look, I'm just going to say it, it's part of the left's broader war on Christianity. The true progressive statist left in this country within the Democratic Party is rabidly anti-Christian. I know you're going to say, oh, Buck, but there's there's some uh, you know Marxist Catholics that are running around, and there's all kinds of uh, different priests in the, within the broad umbrella of Christianity who are very into social justice, very into illegal immigrants. I understand all that. I'm talking about traditional Christianity, the way it's been for a couple thousand years now. The left is very opposed to that and seeks to undermine it at every turn. They're also opposed to just freedom in general. And I know that sounds like a a big overstatement, but they would rather the state determine people's actions than individuals determine their actions in every case possible. They'd always rather have the state setting the rules, even for conduct that has nothing to do with the criminal justice system or property rights. They want to set individual conduct at the federal government level that is part of the lust for power that they have so a a good day but not a great day for religious liberty mostly it tells us that religious liberty is not yet dead so there's that 844-900-2825 844-900-BUCK I have a whole lot more to talk to you about team and we will be right back Oh, man, the media was in uh, overdrive over the weekend over the whole situation about Trump and his pardons and can he pardon himself and 
who's he going to pardon next? But you can see how they're forming a a narrative here. The narrative is Trump thinks he's above the law. That is a way of saying that. Well, actually, no, they went straight up. I mean, you had Peter Alexander over there asking Sarah Huckabee Sanders today just that question. Play 16. Does the president believe that he is above the law? Uh, certainly not. The president hasn't done anything wrong. Um, the question is, he hasn't done anything wrong. I guess the question is, does the president believe the framers envisioned a system where the president couldn't pardon himself, where the president could be above the law? Certainly the Constitution very clearly lays out the law. Uh, and once again, the president hasn't done anything wrong, and we feel very comfortable but, in that front. I know, but you just a moment ago said it's not, it's not that clear. So I guess simply put, does the president believe he is above the law? Uh, certainly no one is above the law. Can go ahead. I just want to ask you, this is an important one, because it's about, I'll just keep asking if I can. No, he can't actually. Well, Sarah, I think this is important. I haven't had a chance to ask this question. Sarah, thanks. Wow, what a little punk. I'm just going to keep going. So He asked the same question three times. And she said no. No one is above the law, including the president. I mean, it's just disrespectful at a certain point, right? I mean, are you allowed to just go into the West Wing and throw a temper tantrum? No, I want more questions. All of a sudden, Hillary's the one throwing a temper tantrum. Hello? But, no, really, they seem to be conflating or, or confusing being above the law with what the law is, right? If, for example, if the president pardons somebody, it's not the president saying that person's above the law. It's that the law says the president could pardon them. Can the president pardon himself? It's never come up before, but there's no clear reason to believe the president could not pardon himself. At least not that I'm aware of. People could say, oh, there's this DOJ. I love this when they talk about a DOJ. You mean like the enhanced interrogation memo doj like that that doj oh yeah no the doj is infallible whenever it comes to an opinion written 30 or 40 years ago that gives journalists what they want to hear uh but the the truth is that there's a very strong case that the president can pardon himself but it's a loss for him to even have to talk about it we'll we'll get into it He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I want to talk more about the issue of, uh, is Trump above the law? Oh my gosh, is he above the law? What are we going to do? Isn't it funny, the people that are asking that question are the same people that want to send Trump to prison for anything that they can think of, conjure up, make believe. That's right. Is Trump above the law? Meanwhile, they're they're trying to end his presidency by making him subject to not even the law, a special anti-Trump version of the law, where collusion becomes a crime. But oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? I just something I meant to mention you before, so I'm I'm taking us a, a few steps back for a moment here, and that is uh, what I said to you that in that. Uh, Issue of Masterpiece Cake Shop, big Supreme Court decision, 7-2 today was the uh, decision. So even a couple of liberals went along uh, with the 
conservative side of the court. But it's not hard to think of how they would be able to target this individual, the owner of Masterpiece Peace Cake Shop, Phillips, because it was well known that he was somebody who had certain practices. He This is from the opinion, the Supreme Court opinion today. He, quote, routinely sacrifices profits to ensure that Masterpiece operates in a way that represents his Christian faith. He is not open on Sundays. He pays his employees a higher than average wage. He loans them money in times of need. He also refuses to bake cakes containing alcohol, cakes with racist or homophobic messages, cakes criticizing God, and cakes celebrating Halloween. Even though Halloween is one of the most lucrative seasons for bakeries. Isn't that interesting about Halloween, by the way? You know, it's a tradition that ties to All Hallows, uh, or it's All Hallows Eve, but, you know, November 1st is All Saints Day. Also, my mom, my mom's birthday, she's awesome. Uh, but he, so he is clearly, this is not just an, this is not an anti-gay thing. This is a, he is a traditional Christian way beyond even what I think most folks who are Sunday church attending Christians, um, you know, Sunday Sunday Christians uh, would would assume is part of, you know, all that's going on. So, you have that. I just wanted to note that this is somebody who was very clear. And again, apologies for my my throat and my nose, and I'm I'm suffering with like one of those colds where you're just just in misery today. <laughs> so, all of you listening, who feel good. God bless. If you feel healthy right now, listening to this, you are so lucky. Just. <laughs> Remind yourself, when you feel good, just physically feel good, and can have a moment's peace, you are very blessed. The moment you lose your health, you're reminded of these, or even temporarily. I'm not trying to make it. It's cold. I'll be fine in a day or two. All right, back to the, so that, that was just a, a note on that Supreme Court case I wanted to get out there. Uh, a few things. Now we've got this issue of, is Trump above the law? That's what they're all talking about. That's what they're all saying. Okay. Well, as I said to you, it's not even a proper framing of the question because the real issue is, what is the law on this matter? Is the president able to be indicted or not? Can the president pardon himself or not? John Carl. John Carl also pushes. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was dealing with people coming from all different directions on this, right? They really wanted to make a point of going after her on it. John Carl, Peter Alexander wouldn't stop asking the same question. So he's clearly, maybe it's like contract time over there or something, and he's really trying to get get some attention. But here's what John John Carl has to say, 15. The president said that I have an absolute right to pardon myself. Uh, Why does he think that, and does he also agree with Rudy Giuliani, his lawyer, that a pardon for himself would be unthinkable and would lead to immediate impeachment? Uh, thankfully, the president hasn't done anything wrong and wouldn't have any need for a pardon. But does he absolutely rule out doing that? I mean, does he rule out ever issuing a pardon for himself? Once again, thankfully, the president hasn't done anything wrong and therefore wouldn't need one. That's what I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders, in some cases, should just, she should just get to that where she, like, I, I you know, I'm going to repeat it. Just keep asking the same question. I'll keep repeating the same answer. It's the only way, the only way that, uh, you would be in a position to to fend off all of these constant 
assault, media assaults from all these different people that are assembled and trying to come up with a way to get under your skin, trying to ruffle, ruffle your feathers on air, throw you off your game. But this all comes because, of, because Rudy Giuliani's out there. You know, maybe I don't see something that Trump does, which has been true about a lot of things. And, and I'm the first to come out here and admit, you know what, maybe Trump got something that and I didn't on that issue. Or, you know, he's got a a view of these things that exceeds what what most of us are able to uh, to anticipate, at least, right? But I've never thought that Rudy Giuliani was the best man for this job of making the legal case in public. I think Rudy's a little undisciplined. I think he's gotten a little used to being a pundit and not as much a lawyer. That's just my assessment. I could be wrong. Maybe, you know... But, for example, just the situation that was created this weekend with Giuliani, out there talking about this, the way he talked about it, I don't see how this is particularly helpful, but I'm, o- I'm open to ideas. But all the notion of Trump pardoning himself, here's what Rudy said, play eight. Do you and the president's attorneys believe the president has the power to pardon himself? Uh, he pro- he's not, but he probably does. He has no intention of pardoning himself, but he probably doesn't say he can't. I mean, that's another really interesting constitutional argument. Can the president pardon himself? I I used to run the pardon attorney. It would be an open question. I think it would probably get answered by, gosh, that's what the Constitution says. And if you want to change it, change it. But yeah. It's at least an open question. I love these media talking heads out there on this issue who are like, oh my gosh, of course you can't pardon yourself. Says says who? To borrow from Cohen, says who? Pardons? What pardons? Who? There's nothing they can point to that with any uh, sway on this matter with, with, that has any gravitas that would definitively answer the question in the negative, right? Can you pardon yourself? No. Prove well, me wrong. Exactly. Thank you. Prove me wrong. So that's that's something that we should keep in mind here, folks. The president's not going to pardon himself, though. This all came out of the whole, oh, is he going to sit down for an interview? Is he going to sit down for the Mueller trap? You know, there was this leak over the weekend of a letter from President Trump's legal team to the Mueller counsel that's just a piece-by-piece takedown of the of. Many different things. One is the notion that the president has to answer to a subpoena from the special counsel. Okay, that's one thing. So the answer is no, no, he should not have to do that based on their legal analysis. More interesting to me even is the notion of obstruction. This is pretty straightforward. If you can fire someone for no reason or any reason... How is it conceivable? Inconceivable. Remember that guy? How is it conceivable that you should be able, you should be forced to answer questions about why you had the pardon in the, or, you know, I mean, the firing rather, why you fired the person in the manner that you did? You have any reason or no reason. The only way that Mueller and his people could justify putting Trump under oath and answering questions about why he fired somebody would be assuming that he was going to say that it was for some illicit purpose, which he's not going to say. And 
Giuliani, or rather Trump's lawyers, would argue that even if he were to say that, it doesn't matter. It is not possible for Trump to be obstructing justice by exercising his due functions within the Department of Justice. You know, they're going to run around and talk about how he's such a tyrant and he's doing all these terrible things. Meanwhile, you know, Trump, despite having the authority to fire anybody at the DOJ, despite having the authority to uh, weigh in on what's happening at the DOJ, as well as also pardoning himself and pardoning other people, he hasn't tried to shut this thing down. He's allowed it to grind on for over a year now, which is going and going. No end in sight and no payoff in sight. No no real information that we can expect to come out of this that will have any meaningful difference to the narrative that was constructed in the very beginning of all this, which is that there was a Russian hack attack on the election and that Trump and his people were maybe some part of it. So, can he pardon himself? Probably. Is he going to have to do that? No. If Trump, in fact, was caught in a Mueller perjury trap and chose to pardon himself. By the way, I, I do not believe in that circumstance. You would have uh, impeachment. I don't think Republicans, if it were for some nonsense, like what Mueller's been doing all along to people, trying to get them to misremember something and then call it a uh, call it a felony. Oh, that was another part of the legal team's 20-page long letter to the Mueller special counsel probe. They're saying, oh, by the way, you know, you look at that whole situation with General Flynn. How is it possible that General Flynn is believed to be truthful by the FBI agents who meet with him and who interview him, and then later on they bring criminal charges against him for lying? That seems very strange. That seems like something that maybe somebody in the deep state was up to and we should all be uh, concerned about it, to say the least. But we'll have much more on this and everything else coming up here shortly. 844, that's right, we're going to cover everything today. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, would love to hear from you, team. Uh, pardon my sniffle, but I'm going to get fired up when we come back. More on pardons, uh, pardons and firings and Trump, oh my. That's coming up. President Trump. So you're still recommending he does not sit down for the interview? Uh, Jay and I want to keep an open mind, and I have to just be honest, I mean, with leaning toward not. Uh, but look, if they can convince us that it would be brief, it would be to the point, there are five or six points they have to uh, clarify, and with that we can get this over, this long nightmare for the, uh, for the American public over. These guys are not an independent fourth branch of government. Mueller technically is an inferior executive officer. I don't know on what authority, if the president doesn't want to be subpoenaed, how does the inferior executive officer tell the chief executive, well, we're going to subpoena you anyway? This goes to two points. One is, this is more of a political issue than a legal issue. Trump could terminate this whole thing now if he wanted to as chief executive. And secondly, the framers didn't intend that federal prosecutors were going to rein in executive excess. They intended that Congress was going to do that. So the issue here has always been 
since no one of, of Mueller's sophistication would ever think that he could have indicted the president of the United States, this has been about impeachment from the first day. It's our friend Andy McCarthy there with, as always, first, first class analysis on the issue. Let me just put this in, uh, I think, a very illuminating context. Let's say that you are a liberal. Now, this is going to be where play a fun little game. Just give it a moment. Let's say you're a liberal. And you really wanted to stop this president from being president, just from doing what he's supposed to do as president. Do you really think that it would be hard to come up with a rationale for any federal prosecutor anywhere in the country to try and investigate and bring federal charges against the president? No. Look at the judges. Look at the judges in the Ninth Circuit and other places across the country who are trying to override presidential authority. But at least that's a from a different and co-equal branch of government. At least it's from the judiciary. At least there's some grounds for you know judicial separation from the presidency. You're going to allow for people... I mean, this was Andy's... In essence, Andy's point, you're going to allow people who work for the president to be able to dictate to the president when he can or or must show up for interviews and what questions he has to answer. I mean, this just strikes me as crazy. It really does. Can any federal prosecutor then, if if the left gets their way on this one, can any federal prosecutor anywhere in the country subpoena the president of the United States at will? There's not a whole lot of, oh, you'd say, oh, Buck, well, the, no, the, the U.S. attorney uh, would stop that person. Okay, but what if the U.S. attorney didn't? Oh, the attorney general would stop that person. Oh, what if the attorney general didn't? Oh, that's right. The attorney general answers to the president of the United States. So this is the system we have, right? The left doesn't seem to understand this that the system doesn't always work in a way that benefits them or that favors their ideology. And I think that they have a little bit of a panic over this. I don't think that they can really understand and, and grasp the, the full meaning of, of what all the implications are here. So, you know, I'm glad you've got Andy weighing in here and others who are saying, look, you know, you may not like this aspect of the law, but it's still the law. It is still the way things are. And and on the pardon power, which I, I got to say, I think that Trump's pardons, I, I think I called it pardon, pardon a palooza on Friday. Pardons have been great. But it just goes to show you that, you know, when they can find a way to bring charges against somebody, they think it's a great idea. When they are in a position to abuse prosecutorial discretion for political ends the left loves that right scooter libby uh, all those different cases are brought up with you of uh, various republicans investigated by either state's attorney general or a federal prosecutor federal investigative team uh, by the way i was wrong not wrong but i was having a little too much fun trying to think outside the box with blagojevich on, on friday I'm like, I mean, he, what he did was bad, but 11 years, he's really dirty. I mean, he was really, really dirty. I went over and read over it because I, I like to actually know what the heck I'm talking about. 
It had been a while since I had read the Blago files. So on the train ride down from New York to D.C., I read through some of the old transcripts of what he said on the phone. The whole Senate seat's a, a blanking valuable thing and, you know, a lot of that stuff. So I never said Blago was innocent or anything. I just said he maybe wasn't 11 years guilty, but he's pretty close. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts, and the U.S. Special Forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis. An aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn Army major face an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. A catastrophe of biblical proportions is about to unfold. The new president is facing a ruthless, relentless caliphate, and our military and elected leaders have no means to stop it. The only real questions are when and where. This is Anubis. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain. This is Anubis. Eric Anderson is a former undercover U.S. intelligence agent. Anderson's new novel from Dunn Books is Anubis. That's A-N-U-B-I-S. Now on sale at Amazon.com or visit Dunn Books at DunnBooks.com. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Great to have you here with us. A little bit of a sniffle today, but I'm going to stop whining about it because you're going to get annoyed if I don't stop whining about it, right? I got to just, I was going to say I've got to man up, but isn't that now microaggression? You can't say that anymore, right? Can I say I'm going to buck up? Oh, so corny. I know. Terrible. Terrible. I blame it on the cold meds. I I took like, uh, what was it? Aleve cold and severe cold and sinus. I like when you get a little extra selling in with the whole uh inform with the you know the packaging like the uh severe cold because i don't want just the wimpy cold and sinus man i want the severe one so there you have it uh, and if i get delirious or delusional over the course of the show if i fall victim to uh cold season derangement syndrome let me know but back to uh speaking of derangement syndrome the national security world, you've got the Trump summit coming up here on North Korea, and a lot of people are very much rooting against him. But some, of course, also known as patriots and good people, are rooting for success because North Korea is about a lot more than just whether or not Trump gets a big foreign policy victory. Right? This isn't just about the perception of his skills in negotiating deals abroad and everything. This is really about the future security of a critical part of the world. This is really about whether we can have a peaceful reunification at some point of the really the last major vestige of a Cold War nuclear standoff, or it it is a Cold War nuclear standoff, so Cold War era at least. Uh, You've got on the one hand folks like Newt, Who's out? Who are out there doing everything they can to explain to the American people what is at stake? Play six. The president, through tremendous pressure, and, and uh, Mnuchin at Treasury has done a great job of really helping tighten down on on the sanctions. 
And the result is that the North Korean economy is in real trouble to such a degree that I think that Kim Jong-un reached a conclusion that he was in danger of having the whole regime implode economically. On the other hand, he, his, his father and his grandfather and he have spent three generations, enormous privation, huge slave labor camps, tremendous amount of pain building nuclear weapons and, and missiles. So the question becomes for him, can I cut a deal which enables me to survive? Or if I sell out everything we've been trying to do, do I get deposed by all these people who have spent their lifetime doing it? If I don't do it, do I end up with my economy collapsing totally? I think he's coming in out of fear. The South Koreans have played a huge role in this because they really were frightened that Trump was prepared to go to war. That's a very uh, astute analysis from Newt on that. Look, Newt's a smart guy. And you remember this. I remember this very well. Newt took the fight to the media in that primary with uh, Romney back in 2012 in a way that was something of a harbinger of things to come with Trumpism. I forget who it was. And, and producer Mike, if you remember what I'm talking about here, there was a he got asked a question and it was just the classic nasty media sniping, right? Just the, the usual, you know, I, I think it might have even had something to do with one of Newt's wives or something. There was some, it was personal. It was kind of, and I, I can't remember the exact context, but I remember Newt turned around and he was like, that crap, I'm, para- I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, that crap from you mainstream media types is no longer acceptable to the American people, shows us who you really are, and we're all sick of it. That was basically what he said. And it was the best moment he had the whole primary. In fact, there were some people that, based on that one moment alone, were like, well, maybe Newt's going to make a real go of it. Ended up being Romney, but nonetheless. Uh, what Newt said there on, on North Korea is all accurate. I'm not going to say that it's much of what I tell you on a regular basis here on the show, but I'm not going to not say that. Pretty close to some of our analysis. You didn't get into China as much as I tend to, but focusing more on the South Korea angle. Uh you know, he understands the implications here. He recognizes that this is not going to be easy. And that for Kim Jong-un specifically, this isn't just like he gets a deal, he doesn't get a deal. His personal survival may be at stake here. One of the big problems you have with dictators is that when you try to get them to stop being dictators, they have to really trust that whoever comes along next is not going to say, hey, wait a second, weren't you a dictator? Weren't you the one that was sending people off to be executed? Weren't you the one who was the reason for the construction of those you know, torture facilities and prison camps and everything? Yeah, we've decided uh, we're, we're going to do a little take backsies on that whole promise we gave you, and uh, you're now in trouble. Look what happened to Saddam, right? Not that Saddam stepped down willingly, but I'm just saying, look what happened to Gaddafi. The Gaddafi one, which Kim Jong-un and North Korea has, has raised, is a closer analogy here because Libya was on its way to getting a, to, to WMDs, right? It was had a WMD program. It declared it, it. It decided that it wanted to bring itself into the community of nations. So Libya was starting to be on our team here. And then, oh, no, the ben, you know, well, it wasn't just specific, specific to Benghazi, but they were going to go in and do all kinds of very bad things to rebels. And, and we led a an air war to oust them. 
it was really actually mostly our, our NATO allies that did a lot of those flights, but it wasn't really hard, hard going. There was no Libyan Air Force really to contend with. But Gaddafi ended up in a pretty terrible circumstance on video. And if you read about what happened to him, it was really brutal and horrific. Kim Jong-un doesn't want to end up like that. Kim Jong-un doesn't want to be in a circumstance where not just, not just himself, but all of his close friends and relatives, everybody who's ever worked with him, everyone that he feels any loyalty to, personal loyalty could be in jeopardy if this deal goes wrong and if there's a uh if this whole thing collapses so there's very very high stakes indeed but you know with newt there you had a version of the analysis that we should be doing here what will work what's at stake why should we care we've got this summit planned for what is it next week now it's gonna be real soon i've never been to singapore i'd like to go Unfortunately, I was not asked by the administration this time along. I mean, could they use a little buck advice in Singapore? Probably. Probably they could. But they didn't bring me along for this go-around. But yeah, it's June 12th is when they're supposed to do this. Um, there are very serious concerns. There's This is high-stakes poker. All those things still apply. Meanwhile, over at CNN, you have a former Clinton appointee, Jim Shudo, now a journalist, and uh, My- Michael Hayden, my former boss, in fact. See, I remember when Mike was running things. I want to be like Mike. I want to be. I want. You guys remember that long time ago? All the Michael Jordan commercials. Michael Jordan was such a cultural phenomenon. I brought up with somebody over the weekend. Are we? Can we just all agree that we're at a point that LeBron is better than Jordan? And wow, did I get slapped out on that one? No, no way was the. Uh, they're saying. You can tell me all the stats and everything else. Six championships, m- more effective in big games. I mean, this is what people saying about Jordan. I didn't, I didn't realize. I'd, I thought we were kind of past that now. Like LeBron is the most dominant. It's a great sports debate. It is. I mean, it's I think it's hot fair, right now. It's fair, fair. Okay, producer Mike, where are you on this? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, Dude, come on. Oh, you're yeah. my sports guy. You're going <laughs> to run off on this one? I don't think so. Yeah. John, hold him in place. Don't let him leave the room. Where? I- where I think uh, right now you have to give it to LeBron. Um, I think the only way I think people will say this: if Jordan never left to go play baseball, he would have ran away with it. I don't think it would have been ever a doubt. I think Jordan thought he may have had his legacy in in check, and nobody could ever touch him. Um, but he left. Remember, remember those years he left to play baseball? Oh yeah, I do remember. And uh, I think that right there is going to come back to bite him. Um, I think LeBron is sort of slowly inching past him at this point. All right. Well, that's my, my opinion. Hey, I, I hear you. People also then say like, hey, the league back in the day was a lot more rough and tumble. Now you like breathe in someone's direction. You call a foul. They're, oh, man, the debates, the debates. But, anyway, I thought I thought it was kind of clear now, but apparently not. There are a lot of Michael Jordan diehards out there who are like, no way, no way. Okay, back to North Korea. Let's put Michael Jordan aside for a second. Random interlude. NBD. Uh, Michael Hayden, my former boss, and Jim Shudo talked about North Korea, and here's what the former CIA director had to say. This, you know, this is it bums me out, man. I just want to say, you know, I knew some of these guys a little bit, like Hayden. You know, he wouldn't really remember me, but I remember I ran some briefings for Hayden and everything. He seems like a sharp dude. I don't know why they want to be tools of the Democrat left. I really don't. It's it's disappointing. These people are these people, meaning like senior Democrats, Democrat Party, and the Obama administration. 
they're really reckless with national security. You know, they're really not of sound thinking on core national security challenges. And I just can't imagine being a NATSEC career NATSEC professional and not understanding and not seeing that for what it is. You know, these are the Democrats and the left in this country are always, you know, always a little too favorable toward communists, wherever they are, toward, you know, Marxist revolutionaries, toward socialists, wherever they are, towards Islamists and jihadists, wherever they are. I mean, they're always the ones that are on the kind of the wrong side of that issue vis-a-vis the rest of the American people. And I just feel like, how do you try, with a legacy of coddling our enemies and, and apologizing for America and undermining U.S. Uh, prestige and interests around the globe in, in, the int- in the interests of some global social justice, whatever. And that's been going on since the, since the 60s, okay? So we're going on over 50 years. With that legacy in place, I don't know how you're a national security professional like Mike Hayden, you know, maybe I'll get to it. I've, I've interviewed a bunch of the former CIA directors, but I don't understand how we could. Uh, I just get frustrated with it. That's all. But here's what he had to say. Play clip one. North Korea, based on the president's own comments, has not made any commitment yet right. to do anything. Denuclearize. Uh, I mean, they've released the hostages. But on the on, on the nuclear issue, is the summit itself already a win for North Korea? Oh, oh, it is. Look, what you, you asked, uh, Will, what was different? All right. Mm-hmm. What was different? now compared to the last two times we've tried this is that north korea is now an internationally recognized nuclear power all right and and so kim is going to the meeting with what he believes to be a a very strong hand so i think that's why the north koreans uh, are showing up they're going to go see what it is they can get from this newfound status when they say this newfound status North Korea didn't wake up yesterday or last week and say, oh, wow, look at this. We got nukes. Now people know. We've known about this for a long time. And this, to say that they're recognized status, what is the, what, what, what would unrecognized status be? We had before where they were firing off missiles and we know that they're testing nuclear weapons. I mean, it, it strikes me as almost a, a willful blindness to the situation. And I just, it, it troubles me. It really does to see that this mentality that's out there as well. You know, Hayden is a guy who spent decades national security, you know, NSA director, CIA director. He's smart, by the way. He's a smart guy. I, I don't take anything away from him in, in that regard. I just think that his politics in the era of Trump have gotten uh, all twisted. Some of these former national security guys are actually aren't very, br- aren't very bright. So... There's that. I mean, when I say very bright, they're nowhere near what you would think they'd be given the institutions they've been in charge of. You know, Brennan comes to mind, for example. Um, Not that he's a dumb guy. I'm not saying that, but just not somebody that's going to impress you with his intellectual horsepower on really uh, any of these issues. At least not for me. Uh, But this, uh, we don't want to give the North Koreans recognition. We haven't given that recognition. It's been you know, going on three decades now. What has that gotten us? The refusal to meet and talk. Remember, my objection to what Obama did with Iran is not that he was going to talk to Iran at all. And it's not that I was hoping we'd go to war with Iran, because that's definitely not the case. My objection is that he was desperate to get a deal and so took a very or made a very bad deal with them that removed sanctions, that removed the economic constraints we had in place on them. 
I, and that, that's different than saying, well, you shouldn't talk to someone at all. There should be no... And in the world of diplomacy, by the way, that's almost never the consensus answer. That, oh, you, should, you shouldn't talk to them. You should have no contact with them. Because how do you advance anything if that's the case? So, like, we're, we're going to get into this a lot. North Korea coming up to the summit. Is the summit even going to happen? We, we, we don't know. We just frankly don't know at this point. It looks like it will. I think we're going to be having a discussion here on this show, assuming the summit happens, after it happens, where we're mostly focused on, okay, well, what's the next summit going to be like or the next round of talks? These things do not move quickly. And any promise, no matter what that promise is that comes out of it, isn't meaningful until there's action taken to back up whatever the agreement was. But this notion that Trump has failed even by getting, you know, a week ago they were saying he failed because the summit's off and now we look dumb. Now they're saying he failed because the summit's on and it's almost like he can't win no matter what he does. They will be opposed to it. They won't be okay with it. Almost like that's the case. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK team. We've got much more. I'll be right back. Our sponsor this half hour is Nine Line Apparel. Look, you probably know the guys at Nine Line, but if you don't, you want to know them. This is a phenomenal veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. I wear their stuff. In fact, Miss Molly was making me some soup this weekend because I was sick, as you can probably hear, and she was doing it in a Nine Line t-shirt. I said, Miss Molly, what do you think of the t-shirts? She works in fashion. You know what she said? I love this t-shirt. She wears it all the time. She wears them. I wear them. I am a Nine Line fan and a supporter of the mission of this company, which is to give back to veterans and create a great patriotic lifestyle brand. You should check them out for yourself. Visit NineLineApparel.com. Use the coupon code BUCK20. I mean, this is a great deal, folks. Remember, if you went into a store and someone said, get your favorite hoodie, get your favorite t-shirt, sweatshirt, fleece, polo, and got 20% off, that's a great deal, right? Well, now we're giving that to you. NineLineApparel.com, coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. We can anticipate at best a bumpy road to the negotiation. As defense ministers, we must maintain a strong, collaborative, defensive stance so we enable our diplomats to negotiate from a calm position of strength in this critical time. The key point is that we're sitting down. And the second key point is that the president has been bolder on this in Korea and, by the way, on world trade than any other recent president. Everybody says we you can't do it. We can't do it. President says, hang on a second. We may be able to do it. We may. That's the most operative word in all this discussion. We may be able to pull something off here. We will have to see, as I've been saying. Odds are against him. No question about it. But then there are others who are clearly rooting for the odds to go against us no matter what. Like Brennan, whom I mentioned before. Call uh, Clip 19. I want to talk about where we will be next week in Singapore for the summit between Maybe. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Do you think it's not going to happen? I don't know, but we go back and forth. You know, there's the fickleness here that uh, I think we'll see what happens on the 12th. Was it a mistake, Director, for Donald Trump to pose with Kim Jong-chul smiling, holding that letter, holding that envelope? Oh, well, I think it was very unpresidential, but that's not something that we shouldn't be surprised at. I think this whole affair has uh, really just demonstrated how uh, inexperienced and inept uh, Donald Trump is in handling these very, very serious matters of state. 
Close to Obama, friend and confidant there, John Brennan, also former CIA director. Not while I was there, but you heard it from him. This is this is showing how inept they are, right? Just remember that in case this summit does happen as planned and it is a reasonable success under the circumstances. Just remember that Brennan was running around saying this was a terrible idea. This is, just shows how inept, how foolish, how silly the Trump team is. And that's a guy who, by the way, was like Obama's counterterrorism czar and then his CIA director. Like Obama has something to teach the rest of the world about how to negotiate with dictators evildoers, authoritarians. Oh, actually, Obama does have a lot to teach the rest of the world about how to negotiate with dictators. Just cave. Just give them what they want. That, that, you know, and then say, look, we got a deal. You know, Obama would probably be like a really good car salesman because he'd be like, hey, I'm selling cars. What do you want to pay for them? There you go. I just sold another one. Isn't he so good? Look at all the sales he's making, right? I mean, that was his administration's approach to this stuff. So, unfortunate, but... Sometimes reality is unfortunate, my friends. Uh, we're going to talk about this cop that gave a uh, an unintentional gun safety lesson to the whole country. That's coming up. You know, recently I've been receiving all my style tips from the clothing experts at Peter Millar. If you're a golfer, if you're somebody who likes to get out there and do sports like me, you know the name. If you don't, you should, because Peter Millar is all about quality, value, and style. It is the most comfortable clothing I've ever worn. Whether it's the knits, the pants, the polos, I'm telling you, right now I'm wearing a performance polo, and it is incredible. It's my new favorite polo shirt. Check it out for yourself. The performance polo is the most comfortable shirt I've ever worn, and I can say that about everything that I'm wearing from Peter Millar these days. And Right now, you can head over to petermillar.com buck to check out some of my Peter Millar favorites. Be sure to use my link, and you'll receive a complimentary shipping and free hat. That's right, Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash buck. Peter Millar dot com slash buck. The best performance clothing you're ever going to wear. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I want to talk to you all about uh, the latest on tariffs. We got a little bit of of dust up with our neighbors to the north, eh? But first, much to, I don't know who's dismay. Depends on what teams you like here. We got an event here that that I got to bring producer Mike in on because he's our resident Philly expert. So he's also our Eagles expert because Philadelphia Eagles. Mike, what is going on with the White House and the Eagles? Yeah, um... Apparently, the uh, what has been called the wokest team in the NFL um, has either been disinvited by President Trump to the White House or have declined to go. Um, I'm seeing several different outlets. Here, here, I mean, here's what things. I'm seeing as a yeah. statement by a statement by the president. The Philadelphia Eagles are unable to come to the White House with their full team to be celebrated tomorrow. They disagree with their president because he insists that they proudly stand for the national anthem, hand on heart, in honor of the great men and women of our military and the people of our country. The Eagles wanted to send a smaller delegation, but the 1,000 fans planning to attend the event deserve better. These fans are still invited to the White House to be part of a different type of ceremony, one that will honor our great country, pay tribute to the heroes who fight to protect it, and loudly and proudly play the national anthem. I'll be there at 3 p.m. with the United States Marine Band and the United States Army Corps to celebrate America. Wow. President's basically like, whatever, we don't, we don't need no, no Eagles. 
<laughs> basically. Yeah. What to, yeah. That's uh I mean the, the Eagles have been pretty they're they're unapologetic about their their activism, which is fine. Um it's a shame. I think uh it's the first championship we've had there and for I mean first NFL Super Bowl ever. And I think it would have been nice for the uh the team to, to be there and to celebrate. Um yeah, I mean, it's an I honor. Like this is, it's a tradition. Yeah, it's an honor. It's about going to the White House. It's really not even about the president. It's right. really about going to the White House. And meeting with a president. Now, exactly. there's a whole other whole other point of view here. And thank you, Mike, for uh, sharing it. My Mike is already, whenever we got something Philly-related, Eagle-related, or uh, or cheesesteak-related. Yes. That is that is central to... Jim's. Uh, go to Jim's for cheesesteaks. There we go. We got to get, get a cheesesteak sponsor. That'd be great. Although I really can't. You know, how many gluten-free cheese... I feel like if you walk into a cheesesteak place and you're like, hey, excuse me, do you have gluten-free? They'd be like, what, are you kidding me? Gluten-free cheesesteak? Come on. Uh, just the bread, man. The good part's the meat, right? The bread, you don't miss out on all that much. But, yeah, more and more social justice stuff here. Now they got the White House a few. Oh, we're going to spend some time this week talking about the anthem protests. I, I guarantee it. They'll be they'll, they'll make more stories out of this one. It'll be a big thing. and yeah, It's it's a losing proposition for the NFL to keep uh, keep going with this one. And now, as I've said to people, there's only a certain, there's only so much you can do to say that you view something one way and not care how most people view it, right? Perfect example. You know, you, you could, you could make the claim that, you know, you think a swastika isn't really representative of Nazi Germany, but in fact, uh, is an Aryan South Asian symbol of peace and harmony from like, thousands of years ago or whatever. I mean, you could do that. The original swastika wasn't had nothing to do with Nazi Germany. But I think people would be like, hey, how about you don't write swastikas on anything, right? That, that's... And now, I'm not saying it's as, as clear uh, an analogy as that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point. I'm not trying to make a direct comparison. But when somebody says that they're going to take action to protest the United States during the national anthem... They may think that they are protesting injustice and, and bad things that happen in this country, that happen in, in any country. But most people are like, we're taking a moment here to, rep- to uh, respect and honor our country and those who fought and died and are still fighting for this country. Show some respect. Right. That, that's the people can say whatever they want about how they view it. But what I just described is how most of us view it. And on this one, the most should be something that's taken into account with all of it. Okay, there should be a little more of a, a little more of, a, of latitude, or uh, I, I already said gravitas once on the show. I, I don't want to overuse that word. Sometimes again, it happens with all of us. By the way, you notice it when you're on radio. Word, you get into word habits where you start using certain words more and more. You know, I hope to talk to you not sporadically. If any of you get that reference, by the way, I will be very impressed. Many of you are like, Buck, what the heck are you talking about? And that's normal because that is a vague movie quote, not an action movie. We will see. We'll see who the true ninja master of the movie quotes really is. Uh, but now back on to tariffs. Woo! Let's talk about some tariffs. Now, uh, this is not the most incredible 
most incredibly exciting storyline you generally get to talk to. By the way, we're going to we're, here. Let me let me put this out there first. We will get to the police officer. I'm sorry, FBI officer, not police officer. Well, I guess they're technically FBI or federal police. Are they federal cops? We, we don't really think of that way, right? But they're like federales, right, in Mexico. But they're like the federal police. But an FBI officer gave everybody a firearm safety rule that I, or firearm safety a lesson that I'm sure none of us who see it will forget. We'll talk about that coming up in just a few moments. So, see, I want to. That, that's going to be one where we don't have to get too into the, the policy side of it. It's just going to be, wow, some people are dumb. But here we have tariffs and the tariff situation and uh, all that stuff. Here's what Justin Trudeau, the liberal, very popular with the ladies prime minister of Canada. Here's what he had to say about the tariff situation now vis-a-vis Canada specifically. Play seven. One of the things that I have to admit I'm having a lot of trouble getting around is the idea that this entire thing is coming about because the president and the administration have decided that Canada, Canadian steel and aluminum, is a national security threat to the United States. Now, the idea that the uh, Canadian... Uh, steel that's in military uh, military vehicles in the United States, the Canadian aluminum that makes your uh, your fighter jets is somehow now a threat. The idea that we are somehow a national security threat to the United States is quite frankly insulting and unacceptable. What do you feel as if the president wants from you in putting these tariffs out there? I don't know. Well. They also asked Sarah Huckabee Sanders, what does the president feel? And she's, here's what she said, 18. In what form the U.S. feels more secure now that Canada has been targeted by tariffs? Uh, the president feels strongly that the steel and aluminum industries are critical to our national security and our ability to protect ourselves. Um, and that would be that reference point in the 232. Now, I don't think that the president's thinking about first of all the whole trudeau version of this where he's like oh it's so unacceptable that our steel in american text no no no. it's not that we don't trust canadian steel i'm sure canadian steel is very polite makes a very good neighbor and really enjoys pretty good domestic beer and and hockey thank you john and maple syrup i'm sure all i'm sure canadian steel likes all of those things the point is about a survivable U.S. steel industry that is domestic, that we have control of, that we that U.S. is producing enough steel on U.S. soil for our national security needs if there were to be a crisis. This isn't a tomorrow thing. This is a 10 years down the line thing. This is a if we get into an inevitable war with China, for example, I guess it it's only it's not necessarily inevitable, but. You know what I'm saying. If we get into a, an eventual conflict with China, people are going to want to make sure that we have steel here. Right? That's, uh, that's a down-the-line issue. I also think that without the administration saying it, they, they lean on the national security exception here for steel and aluminum when talking about the tariffs because they just want to, put, they want to get some tariffs in place. They want to stop the inflow of Canadian steel that isn't, where there aren't any tariffs, when we have tariffs, we send to them, right? Or, or whatever our products are. It's a negotiating tactic. Okay, we're going to put these tariffs on this stuff. What can you do for us on some other stuff? You 
want to play ball on this area of trade, we'll play ball on that area of trade. That, that's what I think this is. And the national security component of it just means that it's within Trump's right to put the tariff on. Is it really an, an urgent national security issue? I mean, they'll say yes. I don't know if I agree with them on that, and, and hence I'm taking the position that I do on this. Uh, so we will take a uh, we'll we'll get into this FBI agent third hour. We can talk to you about Bill Clinton. Uh, we actually have a, a visit from a very interesting sponsor here. He's going to be talking to us on the show and a whole lot more. Stay with me. Firearm safety is an important thing. We all know this. You know it. I know it. Okay. You, you got to. You got to know the the basics, right? All guns are always loaded. Keep your finger off the trigger until you've made the conscious decision to shoot. Understand what your target is, what is in front of it, what is behind it. All all this stuff, right? We 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 have an understanding of this from time whether you've been in the in the service, in the uh, in law enforcement, you're just somebody who's a responsible gun owner, hunter. You know all this stuff. And occasionally there'll be an incident out there. And I know some of you are like, oh, Buck, I know where you're going. But there'll be an incident out there that un- is unfortunate, but will serve as a reminder to future generations that you really, really don't want to mess up when it comes to firearm safety. Now, in this case, it's not something that any- no one lost their life. It wasn't some terrible tragedy. But it is among the more among the most uh, embarrassing firearms related incidents I've seen. It is certainly up there, and in fact, I would say greatly exceeds the DEA agent that I mentioned recently on the show. I forget what the context was, but so this guy was given a class on gun safety in Florida, and he took out his, I think it was a Glock, and he shot himself in the knee. And it was right after saying, this is all on video, folks. You can see it on YouTube. You know, I'm the only person who is trained to handle this weapon. So he's given the whole, like, I'm a trained professional and I know what's up. And then he goes to holster his weapon. And he had pulled the magazine out, but, but did not clear one in the chamber. So he, and with a Glock, you know, uh, if you, I'm pretty sure he had a Glock. I'm just doing this from memory. You know, it's very easy to leave one in the chamber after you withdraw the magazine. So he went to the chamber, he went to holster the weapon, and he shot himself in the leg. But at least he was supposed to be giving a a uh, a program on gun safety. At least, he, you know, it was an accident, but it was an accident in the course of his duties. He's beginning a presentation at school. This one is a whole a whole other level. And it's gone. It went completely viral over the weekend. There is a crowd at Mile High Spirits, which is a bar in the Denver area. And there was an off-duty FBI agent there. And you can see this guy's really getting funky. I mean, he's pulling out the moves. You know, he's got some stuff there on the dance floor. And, you know, he's, he's, doing, he's doing okay with it. I mean, I'm not saying he's quite at buck level, but he's not bad. But then he decides to do to, to go all in, and he, this is all on video. I and mean, you've probably seen it. Oh man, he goes to do a backflip. And he 
pretty much pulls off the backflip, which I'll say is you know reasonably impressive. He he does manage to get the backflip going. Problem is though that once he does it, and I, I would play the audio for you, but the audio is really not anything. You really have to see the video of it. Well, once he does the backflip, his I'm assuming his service weapon falls out of his pants, which is a a doofy enough thing to happen by itself. But then he makes it way, way worse. Because in his haste to grab his gun off the floor, off the kitchen floor, he, cardinal sin of firearm safety, puts his finger on the trigger. Assuming it's a Glock, uh, Glock models have three internal safeties. So there's no external safety, but the internal safeties mean that unless you actually have your finger on the trigger and the trigger guard, it will not go off. Looks like he grabs the gun, and as he's trying to put it back into his uh, concealed carry holster, which I think is in the back of his pants, the gun goes off. So he actually fires off a shot and and hits somebody. Uh, so now this guy manages to do a backflip, drop his weapon, and shoot his weapon accidentally all in one very rapid succession. And man... You know, the FBI's got a tough enough time these days without something like this happening. This is obviously not the fault of anyone but this guy. I'm just saying it it does not help the lure. It does not help the uh, the reputation of the FBI as America's premier law enforcement agency for this guy to do this. I, you know, I don't know if he's going to face any kind of charges or anything. District Attorney's Office hasn't said anything yet. There'll be a an Office of Professional Responsibility Investigation and they're going to look into uh, whether he was drinking. And this is one of these things where I correct me if I'm wrong, law enforcement folks, but you're supposed to carry off duty. I'm assuming, though, I know this from my own time overseas. You cannot have a hot weapon on you and and be drinking. That's a big problem. And that should be the case if it's not the case for law enforcement. You, you cannot be ingesting alcohol and handling firearms at the same time. I, I just. I would be surprised if that were not uh, a major consideration here. And then you got to think, well, for this guy, is anyone going to be when they're on video as an FBI agent? He's off duty, but still, you're going to do a backflip while you've got your service weapon on you and not think about what that could do, what the implications of that might be. Uh, that strikes me as uh, as foolish, to say the least. It strikes me as Something this guy's not going to be able to live down anytime soon. So, what you know, keep your finger off the trigger until you've made a conscious decision to shoot. All guns are always loaded. Know your target. Know what is in front of it. Know what is behind it. These should be drilled into every single person who's ever going to handle firearms. And, oh, yeah, no drunk backflips while you're loaded. Or, yeah, that works, actually, because loaded could also mean drunk. So, no backflips while you're loaded. There you go. That's a better way to put it. This guy forgot that very important rule, and uh, nobody was serious there, but he, got, he shot somebody. I'm, I'm assuming based on what the level of the gun, he probably put a bullet in somebody's shin, which uh, would not be fun. So we'll see what his liability is. But it's just a reminder, folks, you know, not that any of you need it, but it's out there now. Even FBI guys, they'll, they'll make mistakes like this too. Anyone can make this mistake if they're not paying attention. Hour three, coming up.
Our sponsor this half hour is Global Verification Network. If you need background checks, tenant screening, or vetting and investigative services, the one-stop shop you should go to is Global Verification Network. Unlike a lot of the other guys in the space, they don't offshore their work. They don't send this to servers overseas that the people that are taking your money here have no control over. Global Verification is all about accountability and making sure that they are reachable. When you call them, you get a person on the phone. They're independently certified by the National Veteran Business Development Council, which is the only minority spend certification recognized by the Billion Dollar Roundtable. Check them out for yourself. You'll see. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. Or call 877-695-1179. Again, that's 877-695-1179. Global Verification Network. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It was only a matter of time before this happened. We are there now, folks. A recognition among the makers of tech gadgets that it is time for us to have some means of tracking our tech gadget obsession. Because if we're going to try to kick the habit, if we're going to do anything that will prevent us from continuing on this path where we're just all attached to our phones all the time, we need some data. And now it looks like we're going to have it. You have Apple now saying uh, that they will release a digital health feature to the iPhone. will tell you how much time you are actually spending on your device. So as it says here, if you're spending 12 hours a day flicking through cat memes, you're not going to be able to avoid that bitter truth any longer. That's the New York Post. Uh, Also, to let you know how much time you're spending on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. And it will remind you to take a break if you are using your phones too much. Uh, Recent figures from the casemaker Stringberry, this is also from the Post, revealed that our thumbs scroll the height of the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building at 2,716 feet, every single month on smartphones. And in a year, our thumbs will scroll the height of Mount Everest, which stands at 5.4 miles. Folks, come on. We are way, way too uh, dedicated to these devices. You know, I was on the uh, quiet car on the way down to D.C. yesterday. Quiet cars, a little outpost of civilization in an otherwise barbarous world. It's where one car on the train is, they say, maintain a library-like atmosphere. So no cell phone talking, no loud conversations. I get in the quiet car. I'm very excited because I get to sit there quietly and enjoy my ride, hopefully without anybody making all kinds of crazy noise. And someone sits across from me. And you know how you can usually tell? I don't know about you. I can usually tell when someone's sitting in my proximity, whether it's at a restaurant or a movie theater, I just know this person's going to be a problem. They're going to be a little too loud. They're going to be a little too rude. They're going to 
just they're going to be an irritation as my temporary neighbor during this outing. And this person was across from me, and I could see that he thought that it was okay, that somehow in the quiet car, it would not be a violation of the rules to play various, uh, I guess from Instagram, videos with sound on his phone with no headphones on. So it's like he's watching TV on his phone. That, he thinks, doesn't violate the quiet car principles. Now, an earlier buck, you know, buck back in the day, may have decided to cause an issue of this. But then I just figured, you know what? If I say anything, I become the bad guy, even though I'm right. You know, this is one of the problems with being the one guy or gal who will enforce the rules because, you know, we're trying to live in an an ordered society. I could have been the guy that said, hey, we're in the quiet car. You know, why don't you stop watching that dumb video you're watching? But, you know, it just would have created a tense environment. And I don't know. I don't know if everybody would have had my back or not. You just don't know what these things. You just never really know. And uh, sure enough, I had to sit there and listen to a whole bunch of dumb cat videos or whatever the guy was, was watching. So... I think, though, he's probably somebody who has a, an undiagnosed cell phone addiction. And many of us do. It has become now so easy to just sit there and kill time. If you get into it, if you start looking around, I mean, Instagram, I think, is the biggest, uh, the single biggest place for this. You know, I could sit there and just watch sports highlights. They just come up one after another, sports highlights, sports highlights, sports highlights. And, and I love watching that stuff. I'll blow three or four hours before I even realize that I've been sitting on the couch looking over my phone or something, which is crazy. I know. You know. We should get kids to start reading books again. You know, we should get people to put these phones away. Uh, speaking of the kids, I, I see that teens are also increasingly leaving Facebook for other platforms out there. Uh, that's something you're going to see more and more of, too. Uh, Facebook, I think, you know, is going to have to do a lot of uh, innovating with its current platform in order for it to, in order for it to stay quite as, as relevant, you know, five or ten years from now. But that's kind of a separate discussion. I'm just saying, the phone thing, everybody, you want to keep your phone out of your hand as much as possible. I keep saying it. Set those rules for dinner. Set those rules when you're with your family. Phones away. If it's really important, the person can turn on their ringer if they are expecting a call and put it out of arm, it has to be out of arm's reach. That's the thing. If you even if you put it down, if it's within arm's reach, you will see yourself uh, grabbing for that phone. And I know this because I do it. I'll say, okay, the phone's now, you know, it's it's just on my lap or it's on this little table, you know, next to the dinner table or next to the bar or whatever. And then I find myself flipping it open, looking at it again. We are wasting our whole lives staring into these tiny screens. We really are. I remember some of the first portable TVs that you'd ever see. Remember this? It was like a big, almost like a boom box with a little TV screen on it. And thinking to myself, who would ever want to watch such a tiny little screen? Well, now the screens have gotten a lot better. The resolution's gotten a lot better. But you're still staring at a tiny screen. There's like this whole world, this whole life out there. Here's another, uh, another prediction I'll make for you. That... Going phoneless on the weekends and having and enforcing these rules about phones is increasingly going to be a kind of signaling to people that you know you're cool, you're important, and you don't you don't have to have your phone with you all the time. 
So it's not just going to be a for the the purposes of not being always distracted when you're with loved ones, you're with friends. It's going to turn into like, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I don't. I only eat organic and and I go phoneless on the weekends. So there you have it. Phoneless on the weekends is going to become a thing. I think I I really do. Is that for me too? Is that for you or just for everybody? You know, that's a good question because while I'm sitting here, that's as producer Mike is, is rightly pointing out that I'm, I'm drawing quite a line in the sand here because what, when I want some assistance for our freedom hut extravaganza over the weekend, if I'm not on my phone, how could I expect any of you to be on your phone? Right? So I I don't know how this is really going to work. Maybe though we set it up where it's like work emergencies only, and you can obviously you only keep your phone on vibrate, right? I mean, I'm assuming Mike, you don't have your phone with a ringtone because no, you're no, not no, a no. savage. No, I don't. I don't play that game. I mean, I, I always tell people that you can learn a lot about somebody based on their ringtone, and it, it's almost all bad always. <laughs> That's very true, right? Because you're you're like, oh, listen to that person's ringtone. They are both annoying and have terrible taste in music, apparently. <laughs> You're never like, wow, man, I like your groovy ringtone. Yeah, when's the last time you said that to yourself? Well, that's so cool. I might tell on that for myself. And, and you know what must be one of the most amazing business models ever for the three years maybe that it lasted? When people used to buy ringtones. You remember that? Yeah. We forget about this now, but you would be there and like the, the newest sync song would be like, you know, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You know, you know who the ringtone people are? The people, no. they're, the, oh. they're the people who have the uh, personalized license plates. Yeah, you know, I've never made that, uh, <laughs> I've never made that leap in a personalized <laughs> license plate. Um, That's uh, what, hopefully that doesn't offend anybody. But. No, no I, look, I mean, I, I feel like it depends, right? Uh, wasn't it on Seinfeld where the guy was like, what was the, the license? Oh, wasn't there a yeah, license the, plate the, controversy? The, uh, the, uh, the proctologist. Um, That's right. He was as yeah, AZZ man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. See, if you had a legitimately funny, a legitimately funny license plate, then I'm kind of okay with it. But people that have like number one mom, I'm like, I mean, really? Is there anybody who's checking on whether or not you are in fact number one mom? I feel like this is somewhat subjective. Plus, my mom is number one, so how can anyone else's mom be number one? It's important <laughs> stuff to keep in mind. By the way, would you would you have would you have dropped the would you have dropped the hammer on somebody in the uh, in the quiet car? Uh, making noise and and being annoying, or do you shy away from those kinds of conflicts? It depends how bad it is. I am a magnet for noise in the quiet car. It, it follows me wherever I go. Um, if it gets bad enough, I'll just like I'll start out with the like the head turn and be like, "Are you serious?" without saying anything, and then I'll hopefully a conductor will come along. But it has to get really bad for me to say something. Yeah, I mean, I, I always wonder why is it so hard for people to just be quiet. <sighs> I don't know why this is such a difficult. Hey, I'm at a movie. I can't be quiet, apparently. Or like, it's even worse when you go to live theater for some reason. If you ever go see a play or a musical or Broadway or any of that stuff, people just will not shut up. They, they will talk and they will do things. Occasionally, you'll read some story about an actor who like rip a phone out of someone's hand in the audience. I clap. <laughs> I clap for those actors. Yes. I love those people. Yes. Yeah, it gets me going. By the way, uh, Icarus. You seen that one yet? Have not. Icarus is excellent. Yeah. It's about Russia's doping program. I saw it on Netflix over the weekend. Little brother recommended it to me. It's pretty crazy. It's like if the American Olympic teams had the equivalent of the CIA helping them cheat, and probably for the last 30 years. Mm. Like, they can't really tell how far back it goes, 
But it's Russia, so they've probably been cheating the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I've heard good things. Yeah. I just haven't. Uh, I passed by it a few times, and I will give it a watch. All right, everybody. Well, you you heard it. You heard it here first. Producer Mike said it'll check it out. Mike, good to have you, buddy. Uh, team, we are going to uh, take a quick break here. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK on those phone lines. We have all kinds of interesting, exciting stuff to talk about coming up here in just a moment, including some Bill Clinton. That's coming up. There are only a few constants in my day. I do radio, I do TV, I write, I run around and try to spread freedom. But I start each day the same way, Black Rifle Coffee. I'm a big supporter of the people behind Black Rifle. I love these guys. They're awesome. We're talking about veterans of the United States military. A lot of these guys are spec ops. They've got amazing stories. They really believe in what they're doing. And they are supporting their fellow veterans with this company. Also, by the way, as somebody who is self-described as a coffee snob, I can tell you that their coffee is delicious. I go with the K-Cups because I get a little lazy. But before I came down this weekend to D.C., I made Miss Molly a big batch of Black Rifle iced coffee, which you can also do at home. It is fantastic. Check it out for yourself. They have delicious premium small batch roast-to-order coffee at blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15. That's buck15. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15. Looking back on what happened then, through the lens of Me Too now, do you think differently or feel more responsibility? No, I felt terrible then, and I came to grips with it. Did and you ever apologize no, to and no, Yes, and nobody believes that I got out of that for free. I left the White House $16 million in debt. You typically have ignored gaping facts in describing this, and I bet you don't even know them. This was litigated 20 years ago. Two-thirds of the American people sided with me. They were not insensitive to that. You are giving one side and omitting facts. Mr. President, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to present a side. I'm no, not, no, I'm, you asked me if I agreed. The answer is no, I don't. And I, well, I asked if you'd ever apologized, and you said you had. I have. You've apologized to me. I apologize to everybody in the world. What a slime ball. You know, it's important to remember this, folks. That was just over the weekend. That was Bill Clinton, who, now that I've got a cold, maybe, maybe my Bill Clinton's even better. You know, I'm like, and actually, it's, you know what? It's harder to do Bill, it's harder to do Bill Clinton when you have a cold because the voice just breaks. Yeah, here I am, ladies. I just want to, you know, I, I apologize to the whole world. You know, I just did my thing where I said I'm sorry. Uh, he didn't apologize directly to her. You would think that's the most important apology of all, but not for Bill Clinton, because it was always about him. It was always about how it affects him. Even when he speaks about it there, you get such a clear sense that what you're dealing with with Clinton is a malignant narcissist. I mean, somebody who's really uh, got a, a psychological disorder where he's only capable of thinking about himself. Or that's the only thing that really matters to him. Everything else is is very much secondary to that. And I have to say, I think that this is one of the reasons why so many of us have looked at the way the media covers the whole Me Too movement with uh, a degree of cynicism 
That might be too strong a word. It depends on who we're talking about. Uh, because they really don't apply these principles to their own side. And, you know, I, I saw, I don't think I mentioned it here on the show, but Ann Coulter wrote a, wrote a column last week, I believe, who, by the way, made her name writing a book, High Crimes and Misdemeanors, about Bill Clinton and about how he certainly was guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors as as based on what that term really means. And she said that the only reason you've heard so much about Weinstein now and that that dam was able to break was because he was no longer necessary for the Democrats. And that that's what I said right when Weinstein got in trouble. You remember that? I kept saying, close friend of the Clintons, close friend of the Obamas, Harvey Weinstein. Right? Serial predator, accused rapist, now standing trial or soon to face trial for all of that. People knew. But he was able to get away with it, and the media covered for him because it was very clear that at that time, he was somebody who was valuable, who was worthwhile, who was necessary for Democrats. He is not anymore. And that is why we get to know the full truth of, well, not necessarily the full truth, we get to see some of the truth about who he is now. Because now he's expendable. He is expendable. Don't think for a moment, I don't think any of you do, that the Democrats wouldn't do the same thing they did for Clinton today, because I truly believe they would. If it was somebody who was so essential to the party, if it was somebody that they viewed as necessary for the rest of the progressive agenda, they would go above and beyond and discard whatever principles they have so that Bill Clinton could sit there and be like, you know, you're, you're like this bad. It's, sorry, it's really hard to do Bill Clinton when you've got a cold. My voice is all is all messed. My I, I almost want maybe Bernie Sanders. No, Bernie Sanders. This, it's easy to Bernie when you're up over here. Bernie. It's really just tough to do voices in general when you're. I know. I'm, I'm looking for your sympathy, folks. I'm looking for your pity right now. See, I show up for work even when I feel like garbage. It's one of the things I always say about radio. It's one thing to do a radio show. It's nothing to, to be a radio host. Doing a radio show is getting up to a mic and talking for a while. A lot of people could probably do that. Maybe they could do it for a day. Maybe they could do it for a week. Being a radio host is doing it day in, day out when you have a migraine, when you've had a breakup, when you've had food poisoning, when you've been fired from another job. or you know That's being a radio host and making it happen and making the time that those who are so gracious as to listen to you, the time they spend with you valuable, even under those difficult circumstances. Right? That's being a host. See, I get all fired up about this stuff. But yeah, back to the Clinton interview there for a second. I mean, so he's got uh, Craig Melvin over at NBC. He was asking pretty straightforward questions. And notice how Clinton, he, he goes right back into the usual routine, which is that the problem is not that Clinton was a disgusting serial predator himself. The problem is that the way that the questioner is posing questions to him would give one the impression that maybe... There's something wrong with what Bill Clinton was doing. It's always someone else's fault. You know? And his whole thing about, I, I didn't get out of there scot-free. I apologized to the whole world. I was $16 million in debt. You really see a psychological study of who Bill Clinton was and is in just that small cut of that interview. And this is the person the Democrats will point to and they'll say, well, you know, he was... An effective, such an effective president. I turn around and I say to them, the day that the American people who were not indoctrinated, so that's, yeah, there's a good portion of the country that's indoctrinated, but really the day that we all 
or I should say the issue that led us to all cease trusting the mainstream media was Bill Clinton. When we saw what they were willing to do in order to justify Bill Clinton's actions, when we saw that they would support Bill Clinton not facing any charges for lying under oath, uh, and and just say that it, it was a question he should never have been asked in the first place. It was clear at that point the media was an organ of the DNC. They were a partisan, a partisan wing of American politics on, with the trappings of journalism. But anyway, Clinton's scummy, and that's no surprise. But there is no Clinton dynasty anymore to protect, really. So I wonder what the Democrats are going to come up with next. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Hey, everybody. You know, we often talk to you about some of our uh, wonderful sponsors here on the Buck Sexton Show. And, and occasionally we actually have somebody representing that sponsor to just come on and tell us a bit about the story and, and how it is that they came to be. So that you can understand what they do better and also you can learn a bit about that industry, that area, and why it is that we think uh, it's something that's worth all of our time. We've got Art Fitzenmeyer with us right now to talk about Home Title Lock. He is a senior advisor to Home Title Lock. Art's also a retired FBI agent, uh, spent decades with the Bureau. Art, good of you to be with us. It's great to be here today and to have the opportunity to let your listeners know what kind of jeopardy they could be in and not realize it. Yeah, okay, so what exactly is title fraud? I mean, I, I honestly don't, don't know that much about it. Well, you know, the title is that legal document that tells you who the real owner of a piece of property is, who is the homeowner. Some places it's known as a deed as well, especially on the East Coast, but it's the same thing. And what happens is if somebody forges that, and changes the name on that title, they then become the owner of your home, and they've committed the beginning of a title fraud. How easy is this to do? It sounds pretty serious. Well, it's, it's extremely serious. If in this day and age, everything is online. The crook and a false identity will download a document, forge it, file it, and at that point, they are the owner of your property on paper. So they own the property at that point in time. Now, how, how do you undo this once it has been done? And when you find out, if you find out that you're, in fact, the victim of a home title fraud, well, what's the next step? Well, the, that's the hardest part of the whole thing. The, the title is, I call it an orphan document. Nothing else protects you on the, your home title or your home deed. Um, what happens is as soon as they change the name from your name to their name, they immediately go out and start negotiating loans on your equity and your house as the collateral, they'll get tens of thousands, in some cases even hundreds of thousands of dollars, using your home as the collateral. And as soon as they get that, they take the money, they're gone, and you're going to be stuck with the bill. Now, people would probably ask, well, what about you know, my insurance or some of the other things, standard homeowner stuff that's in place? Does, does, it, does that protect you at all? Well, Buck, that's why I call it the orphan because nothing protects your title 
from uh, title fraud. Your homeowner's insurance doesn't protect you. Your identity theft doesn't protect you. So if something happens to your title and you don't find out about it right away, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. It becomes an emotional and a financial nightmare of the first magnitude, quite frankly. How did you get involved with this? I mean, you spent, Art, uh, a long time at the FBI. Uh, What brought you into this sector of, of personal financial security? You know, my years at the FBI, we used to see occasional title fraud kind of creep, creep into some of our other investigations. Uh, and then I uh, heard about home title. Like, in fact, the first thing I did was sign up not only my house, but my daughter's house, because I realized how important it was. But the uh, extent of it has gotten uh, to be almost an everyday thing. I see it all the time now. I used to see it occasionally. And now that I'm in the industry a little bit, um, I see it happen all the time. I was on the East Coast doing a, I do this on TV shows all over the United States, and my uh, Uber driver uh, was asking me why I was going to the TV station, and I told her what, about Title Lock, and she went electric. She couldn't believe it. Her 80-year-old grandmother paid her mortgage off and turned around and found somebody had taken out a big loan on her grandmother's house, and she was having to deal with that all over again. So it happens everywhere, and believe me, the elderly are especially vulnerable targets. How does Home Title Locked protect homeowners, given all the parameters and and situations you've just described? Now, that's a great question, because the key here is finding out about it immediately. And that's what Home Title Lock does. We have the only national database with all the title records in it. And people, for pennies a day, have subscribed to Home Title Lock, are notified immediately if anything disturbs their title, touches their deed or their title in any way. They get an email right away. We get an email right away. And what happens is we then step in and walk them through the process step by step to solve the problem before it starts. We prevent those bad guys from getting that first or second or third loan on their property right away. But once the loan is generated and the bad guys have got the money and they're gone, then you're going to be stuck with having to litigate to get that back in your own name. It costs tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees and could take up to two years or longer just to get your own home back. And you're not insured in any way to cover those expenses. Well, everybody, you've heard about it here from a guy who's an expert in it, Art Fitzenmeyer, retired FBI agent, senior advisor to Home Title Lock. For more information on all this, go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Art, thanks so much for being with us. Mike, thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, talking to you again. Absolutely. And hey, b- before we uh, we get into roll call, you know, we've been talking about Starbucks a lot and their policies <laughs> uh, for what they, they think should be fair use for the bathrooms and all that other stuff. And now I see, oh, now it all makes sense. Why would they take such obviously foolish steps at Starbucks corporate? Uh, It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, the chairman, Schultz, chairman of Starbucks, people are saying um, maybe he's going to run. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. He wants to be of service to the country according to uh the big headline on drudge here he's denying right now that he plans to run for president but he says he wants to see if he can play a role in giving back i don't know that could be uh he could be running he was a vocal hillary clinton supporter it says here on cnbc starbucks huh interesting 
By the way, their coffee is not that good, so it wouldn't really surprise me if somebody else decided to come along here and actually uh, take over some of what is necessary to take over so that they have a more near-peer competitor. I, I, I see this as an opening, but we'll, we'll follow it. We'll keep staying on it, and we'll be back with Roll Call in a minute. The Freedom Hut prepares for a true salvo. It's time for Roll Call. Before I get into the Roll Call, I just want to say we had a fantastic wedding in New York City. Uh, The littlest of the Sexton siblings, my little sister Daisy, is now a missus. We are very excited for her. We had a great uh, ceremony and uh, after party, also known as a reception. Apparently, I keep forgetting that that's what it's called. I did bust out some of my funky moves. Miss Molly at one point saw me dancing right in front of her and said that I was dancing like someone my age, which doesn't sound bad until you understand that she's eight years younger than me. And so she thinks that my age is like, you know, my back hurts, my feet hurt. Uh, although my feet do hurt a lot, actually. My feet hurt that night. You know why? I was wearing uncomfortable shoes. Trying to wear the dressy shoes. Always a bad move. Because your feet hurt afterwards. Uh, but no, it was a great ceremony. I'm just so happy uh, that my uh, little sister found a great guy. And now she's a missus. And maybe I'll be Uncle Buck soon. I don't know how we're going to deal with that, by the way. The whole Uncle Buck. I'm hoping the movie at that point will be forgotten, largely. So nobody will really much pay any attention to it. But it's not the greatest. The Uncle Buck uh, comparison is not really the greatest. All right. With that, it is time for, and I'm sorry, by the way, again, if if I sound at all nasally or a little off today, I I caught a cold. I guess a little too much Gangnam style for me Saturday night. I woke up with the worst swollen glands and sore throat and runny nose and the whole yeah, I know, I know, woe is me, but it really, man, it was no fun. All right, Adam's up here. He says, uh, catching up after a two-week vacation, glad to hear Dr. Lee talk about CRISPR and all sickness shields high. Well, Adam, I, I can totally agree with the end all sickness idea. That sounds great to me. And uh, yeah, Dr. Lee is awesome. She's a friend of the show, a friend of mine, and uh, I always like it when she calls in to share some of her legit uh, bioepidemiological expertise. So always good to hear from Dr. Lee. All right, next up here, we have uh, Michael, who writes, "Good." okay, he sent me a piece, he shared a piece. Michael, I'll read the piece. Thank you for sending it along. Hannah sent a link. Oh, here we go. This is the ex-Navy sailor pardoned by Trump who says he's suing Comey and Obama. Um, I, I got to say, this is uh, one of these things where Christian Saucier, who served a year in federal prison for taking photos of the classified section of a submarine on which he worked, uh, he is arguing that the same officials who meted out punishment to him chose to be lenient with Hillary Clinton. Now, I think he has a point on the merits, but I don't think he has a case. 
it's not the same thing, right? It's different to have a point than to have a case. Uh, the, one of the problems we have is that federal officials, when they're acting within the scope of their authority in their official capacity, have a whole lot of leeway, and they are indemnified by the federal government, generally speaking, and you're not going to be able to get any real justice. Uh, so there you have it. There we have it. Um, next up here in our roll a call, we have Kyle. Rhett, hey, Buck, loving the show. Just thought you should let the Democrats know they were right about the blue wave. Well, sort of. Instead of a political win, the blue wave is all the businesses uh, that are fleeing California from more conservative areas like Nashville, Tennessee. See, my voice just cracked there because I have a cold. Sorry about that, guys. These are the perils of doing radio that you have. Your voice is everything. You know, at least with TV, you can sometimes get away with a little bit of, um, you know, razzle-dazzle on the screen and people will figure, oh, well, you know, we can't really hear what, or his voice sounds weird, but at least we're seeing some things. Here in the hut, man, it's all... All in the vocal cords. It's all in the reflexes. All righty. Next up here. Joe writes roll call intros. He likes uh, Shields High. Real quick top three roll calls and go. Funky Beats with Keeping It Real. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad you like that one, Joe. Thank you very much. Jazzy Intro with Buck Turned Up to 11. I like that one, too. And number one, as always and forever, dubstep roll call. Graybeard Millennials Unite. Peace, buddy. I'm keeping it real. Joe. Well, Joe, I'm glad you like, you know, I I like the dubstep one, too. And I think it is very millennial specific because I can't really argue with other generations that say that dubstep is not even really music. I think they're technically correct. But I also feel like I like it and I don't care what anyone says. How about how about that? You know what I mean? Throw that out there. All right. Next up here, we have Matthew who writes, I'm fireside at my campsite in Rocky Mountain National Park. The wife and kid went to bed, but I'm still up enjoying my local brew and my Friday night podcast with Buck Sexton. The combination of fresh insight and mountain air ignites my American spirit. Shields high and Semper Fi from Matthew. Well, Matthew, I'm glad you were able to work in the show even when you're out in the wilderness you know i i did some camping growing up i'm not gonna lie to you folks i'm not a camping kind of guy and i know that glamping isn't really camping so i don't pretend that that counts but i like a comfortable bed i don't get excited about an air mattress on the ground i don't i don't really care where it is and uh i like the modern conveniences of of technology like electricity and my iphone and things like that I am not somebody who, I, I, I like outdoor activities, but I don't like sleeping in a tent necessarily outdoors, although maybe that will change. Maybe some of you will convince me to get back into it, you know? Maybe we'll have a fantastic outdoor sponsor at some point who's like, Buck, we've sent you a tent, go use it, and then I will fall in love with tents and decide that that is a great way for me to spend my time. You just, you just never know. You just never know. All right, next up we have Stephen 
who writes, uh, Book, I'd throw money at a Patreon for a history deep dive in case you're polling on it. Well, thank you, Stephen. That's good to know. I think that's probably what we're going to end up having to do uh, because we have to we have to find some way to make that a business. But if it's a business just based on the donations and good graces of the listeners, I think that would be fine. Uh, we had a big audience for Shields High, uh, all episodes. Lots of folks listened to it. So going back into it now, I, I think if we could do a, a Patreon for it, that would be certainly one way to go. And thank you very much, Stephen, for putting your vote in for more Shields High. Vince, next up here, I've got a guest suggestion for you. Carolyn Glick, Chicago-born Israeli journalist with the best pulse on the Middle East. She really got my attention when she predicted months in advance the U.S.'s abstention vote vis-a-vis Israel at the U.N. in November, December 2016, November or December. Enjoy your show, your knowledge of history and impressions. Well, Vince, thank you so much. Very kind of you. And uh, I will check out Carolyn Glick. I The name is familiar to me, but I can't say that I know her off offhand right away. Um. One more here. We have Karen who writes, Hey, Buck, fairly new listener, six months, but absolutely can't go without my Buck fix daily. Just wanted to weigh in on the toxic masculinity. I'm actually a feminine woman and have to be around toxic guys. I think feminists feel threatened by a real man. Keep up the great radio show. I tell everyone to listen to you. I did go without my cell phone last weekend. It was torture. I'm almost 70. Think about that. Karen. Well, Karen, thank you so much for listening to the show. It's great to have a new member of Team Buck who's enthusiastic about what we're doing here. And and I'm glad you tried the uh, weekend without the cell phone. Isn't it amazing? You should just try it, folks, even if you don't make it through, so that you have some point of reference for, wow, it's really hard to not be relying on your cell phone all the time. And uh, with that, I think we are going to have to close up the hut for the day. I'm going to go home and drink a lot of throat coat tea. And hopefully tomorrow I will no longer feel like I was uh, hit by a bus by this cold virus. And I'll be back in action 100%. Uh, until then, please tell some folks about the show. I'll, she- I'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Shield time. According to the FBI, home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes. And you can understand why. It can all be done online. The bad guys can be anywhere around the world. And where do you have most of your money, most likely? In your home. The equity in your home for most Americans is their single biggest source of assets. So you want to brace yourself, folks, because if you've ever had your credit card stolen, let me tell you, it is nothing compared to the hell you'll be in for if an identity thief takes control of your home's title. But I have a solution for you. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to wait and see if disaster strikes. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Just visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com for your free $60 value analysis.